Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey everybody, it's the Terrible Terror here with a little intro before the intro. When this episode was recorded, uh, my guest here didn't make an announcement uh, that he made recently, and I just wanted to put it in the beginning for the plugs. You see, he and his wife, uh, as well as a partner of theirs, are going to be uh, making a film company that's going to start with short films uh, and hopefully go to you know full-length productions. The company's going to be called TikTok Cinema, and I look forward to seeing what he puts out. Hopefully, nothing that would uh, end up on here. Maybe. It would actually be kind of fun uh, to to give him a good little ribbing uh, for the podcast. But uh, enjoy the talk with uh, Phantom Dark Dave. Uh, and uh, don't forget, the next episode of the podcast is going to be They Live uh, with our friend Roddy Roddy Piper, which... I hope uh, his family does not come after me at some point. Anyway, enjoy the show! It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible films. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you want to do some bonus content, and you can't quite figure out what to do? Well, you get your friend Phantom Dark Dave, and you begin to talk about remakes. This is the terrible discussion to Revenge of the Remakes! Hi everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And I've got a returning guest with me today. Say hi. <laughs> Phantom Dark Dave's here. How's it going, guys? Hey, thank you so much for sitting and talk with me again. We had a lot of fun last time, so of course it was only natural to do another bonus with you. Yeah, I was really excited to get to do this again. Appreciate you bringing me on. Oh, no problem. Uh, it's been a crazy you know, last couple months. I know we wanted to do this a little earlier, but... Uh, it's uh it's finally coming together. Uh, I think that Stephen King month really kind of threw me off. It's hard to do four movies in one month. It's <laughs> that was ridiculous. <laughs> like I've done it once and I said never again. Then all of a sudden, what the fuck? Why am I doing this again? <laughs> yeah, and Stephen King movies are pretty long anyway. So oh yeah, well especially because. I made the mistake of asking somebody, "Hey, pick one," and of course they picked Dreamcatcher, and oh, that's a oh, beating. That is a brutal, brutal podcast or movie to get through, and it was a brutal podcast to get through because it's so long. At the same time, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, that that movie. Um, there were certain things I liked about it, but it was mostly things I was like, I wish they didn't do that. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it was funny because. Uh, there, like Jason Lee's character in the movie, he has his own like catchphrase type dialogue in it, and 
I, I thought it was like centered to that. But then watching Creepshow and watching Maximum Overdrive, uh, Stephen King's been using that same dialogue for a long, long time. You, you cracked the secret there. There we go. Yeah, that, that's, that's my investigative reporting on Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the biggest thing I remember about Jason Lee's character was uh, the toothpick. He yeah. always had a toothpick. <laughs> oh, God. And it was his fucking demise for no reason. Uh, yep. and not to go back onto that movie. I don't want to make make you relive it or make myself relive it. <laughs> so we thought we'd talk about this time uh, and just have a generalized discussion, but on reboots and reimaginings of films, or you know, when when something has gone on as long as it has, and it's not necessarily focused on. Uh, just say taking a film and just remaking it, but also you know if you've, a series has been dormant for quite some time and then bringing it back with something fresh. Uh, and uh, this was a uh, Dave's idea, and I really really liked it. And so I thought we'd talk about a couple films. Uh, uh, the suggestion was to talk about what we you know which ones we really liked and which ones we didn't like so much, and maybe even what we think should be rebooted once again. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I I started pondering on this idea because I recently did a podcast with some friends of mine uh, over at Fright Club and, and some co-hosts at the B-Movie Bros, and we talked about horror through the decades. And, and I realized, you know, every time period has its own special thing relative to its genre. And the thing to me about the millennium, you know, just the last, you know, 15 years or so, it's been like, man, we've been the generation of remakes. Oh, yeah. And, and I was thinking – you know, I remember last time we talked back in January, like we both really like a lot of older movies, but then we kind of dipped into some of the newer stuff. What a great conversation. Let's just talk about, you know, movies that, that we love that got trashed or movies that maybe we weren't so fond of that they fixed. Yeah. And that, that's really good kind of, uh, you know, jumping point for the conversation. Let's start with, uh, we'll let you go first since you're the guest. Uh, but what's a movie that you did enjoy that was rebooted? Okay, so you're asking which remake am I okay with? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay, um, okay. I, I hope I don't get hosed initially on this, but um, there's a movie that came out in 1981 that I really liked. However, it was remade in 2013, and I liked it so much more, and that was the Evil Dead remake. Ah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Bruce Campbell as much as anybody else, and he's amazing with that genre, but the – the way that they did the remake totally blew my mind because when I found out it was being remade, I knew it was instantly garbage. But then I read some stuff about the director who says that he's completely against CGI. He's going to do all practical effects and, you know, it's going to go back to the old days of just gallons and gallons of fake blood. And, you know, I started thinking about dead alive and stuff and I'm like, man, I really hope he, he does that. And when I saw it, I, I was like, man, not only is this movie like on the edge, scary, but graphically, it's really good. Yeah, that was a weird movie where <laughs> I I had flown to D.C. for some conference for the past company I worked for. And, uh, you know, I was heading back and we were at a 7-Eleven and there was a red box and they had it in the red box. So I was like, you know what? I can rent it here and I watch it on the plane. And then, you know, when I get back, I'll do whatever I need to do with it. And I didn't realize it was going to be like I knew it was going to be over to the top. But I think I freaked out the person next to me while I was watching it on the plane because <laughs> it just got so like 
I it was I I agree like the it it is a good film as as a, even if it was like a standalone like the way he went back to that old school he really captured a lot of the the humorous side of the gore uh you know it it had that uh like realism and scariness to it uh but then it was so over the top that it was hilarious at the same time which it's weird because when you think about it, Evil Dead was rebooted with Evil Dead 2 because they're not connected. And Evil Dead 2 took more of the humorous side of things of the original story and kind of just put Ash in there as not necessarily the, the main character, your main focus, but uh, you know, kind of tooled him as, as an outsider for the group that was going to do the same thing the first group did in the first film. And... I thought there's a really good video from uh, the Nostalgia Critic where he does a which one's better, old Evil Dead or new Evil Dead. Uh, and he goes into a lot about how, you know, there, there are some things that were better and story is definitely better in the newer one because you get connected to those characters a lot sooner. Uh, and it, it, I agree with you to an extent. I still love, you know, the whole Ash trilogy uh, is fantastic, and I think that they did a really good job, and it definitely went above my expectations for that reboot. Uh, and I'd like to see, I'd like to see him do some more, uh, and kind of explore that version of the world, you know, moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, how about you? Does anything come to mind for uh, favorable remakes? So, I don't know if I'm gonna get. <laughs> lamp for this too uh but uh the american version of the ring uh i like the japanese version and and i'm gonna my hate is also a japanese to american remake uh but i like the original version of the ring but it is really kind of cheesy and there were things about the new version of it that i loved and a lot of it had to do with the way that it scared you and I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. I mean, not this podcast, maybe another podcast, uh, but uh, where it would scare you. But most scary movies, there's always like a jump scene, right? Or something to shock you and to relieve whatever tension's going on. You watch something like Annabelle, which, ugh. <laughs> uh, but they they do something okay it's all creepy and stuff and then here comes the doll or here comes the demon or whatever it is and it kind of scares you but there weren't those things in the remake of the ring or the u.s version of the ring it was creepy atmosphere creepy atmosphere creepy atmosphere and then like wait when is it something gonna jump at me it never really happens you get something kind of shocking but it's not shocking in the way that it kind of jump starts your heart uh, and you know, it, it definitely was made, you know, the, of course the U S version is going to be made more for a U.S. audience. Uh, and it's going to miss some of the ghost, you know, story types that exist in Japanese culture, but I thought it was really well done. And I know that's kind of, again, one of those divisive movies are kind of right down the middle. Either you love it or you hate it. And you're not really, uh, you know, not many people stand in the middle of that. Yeah, that's a. Actually, I haven't watched it in a long time, and you know, I'm kind of half and half on it. It's definitely a good movie, um, but it's not one of my favorites. But I will say, the thing about that movie is, man, that opened up the floodgates for the 
American remakes for all the Japanese films, you yeah. know, all the Asian films. And, um, you know, cause right after ring was the grudge mm-hmm. and just an entire like lottery of these movies. And one of them that, you know, I didn't even, I, I didn't even tell you, I was doing research before uh, talking to you with this. And I wrote down like 30 movies in the last oh, 10 years that actually went to theater that are remakes. 30, 30 movies. That is 30. And the ring is on there, but you just, kickstarted another idea that wasn't did you see shutter no i did not see shutter i I didn't watch the remake because um it just didn't look very appealing but then i had a friend of mine's like i got the original you need to watch it and you know typical it's only a few years before the american release was the original japanese version and man if if you like the original japanese version of some of these movies you have to see shutter i think you'll enjoy it because I liked it so much. I saw it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's something I'll I'll have to see. I know there was another one, like somebody remade a uh, Mike Takeshi film. I believe it was called Cell Phone or Cell. um, Hmm. That I wanted to see. I saw the original. Somebody had given it to me, and it was just like he's like, "This is really cheesy. Watch it." And I actually got kind of engrossed in it. Uh, and, And then all of a sudden, I found out shortly after they had made a remake, and I'd kind of want to see what the American spin on it was. It was another one of those like ghost type things where you get the message on the cell phone and you're going to die. Was um, that the um, one missed call? That might be it. I didn't see that, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> and and if I'm butchering the original Japanese name, please excuse me. Um, and that kind of goes into like one of my hates just to stay on the Japanese train was a, uh, there's a film by Kiyoshi Kurosawa called Pulse. And I remember oh. I saw for a class. And that film freaked the shit out of me. Because it has a lot of things about... Uh, the, the main focus is you go to a website, it, and it's cheesy. You go to a website, and it says, do you want to meet a ghost? And then you build... It basically teaches you how to build this room so you can see it. And then you see how kind of futile death really is. Right? That... The, the closer that you get to somebody, uh, the further that you actually are from society and from uh, those around you. And it was absolutely insane just the way that he did it. It's, it's a very, like, and that's what kind of the American version turned into, which was a very cheesy, like, teenage type of horror movie. It had some good moments, but in general, it lost a lot of that feeling. And that's kind of where I get with like certain types of remakes is you you know maybe if you love the movie too much you have a hard time seeing the remake but this was just so uh it was so whitewashed that it was like it was so hard to get through and it had that one girl from Veronica Mars who name mm-hmm. escapes me Kristen uh, Bell there you go that it was like one of her first major motion pictures that she did uh and it was just like I had high hopes because you looked at it and you were like, okay, well, there looks like they're keeping some things the same. Maybe they'll just to put a new spin on it. And then it just was like generic ghost movie number five. It, it just like all the meaning behind it was just lost completely. Mm. Yeah, it sucks when, when you know, you can put a lot into a movie and invest your your time and and everything you're nurturing for the film and then you get excited, you know, and your, your excitement amplifies. And, and then, you know, only thing you have forward to look to is a flop. 
you know, and we got to blame ourselves for that because the studios, you know, just inject this thing full of money. And sometimes having as much money as you want for a film can hurt your film. Oh, yeah. And I think everything you've just described right there is a prime example. Yeah. You basically, you're, and and that's that whole section of, I'm not sure what the years were, but for that whole Japanese remake period where it would have been nice to maybe just bring over, you know, back in the past and go back to like Godzilla days, uh, you know, where you would have these Japanese films and they would just dub them and bring them here. And so the integrity of the film still remained the same. Uh, but now, it, or at least during that time period, it was really just, oh, we're just going to remake it and make sure that the Americans, uh, you know, it, it's, it connects to them better. And sometimes the original meanings are so much better than what you try to make it to be. Yeah, I um, I actually remember when I saw Pulse, the, the American version, it was back in 2007, and a friend of mine had loaned it to me on DVD, and this is back when I was still pounding out, like, almost three movies a day, don't ask me how. <laughs> and uh, I remember watching it, and when I took it out, I was like, that was okay. And then I hadn't seen it since then, so... Yeah, uh, that's... Maybe that was my response was it shouldn't have necessarily been okay. Like there's, I I don't know. Again, like I said, I love the originals so much and maybe that's why I thought, okay, maybe they should have done, uh, you know, something more with it than what they did. Like it shouldn't have necessarily been okay because you, you have a good track record with a couple of films and you have to wonder how do you kind of get off track and, and change it so much that you lose the, the meaning behind the film. Yeah, no, well said. Um, I'm right there with you. <laughs> a lot of times um, when they do a remake, you know, we get scared because they're going to do exactly the same thing. And it's not going to be anything new. But then if we turn around and see somebody make a whole new vision, we could totally get pissed off again. So it brings the term like, should movies be remade in the first place? That is a very good question. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I would say no. Uh, I know that new generations may not be able to experience it, or it doesn't sit as well. Because when it comes down to it, it comes down to money, right? That's that's the ultimate thing. Like, indie horror is cool because it's not so worried about the money. It's about creating that experience and telling those stories. Uh, where when you're dealing with a big budget where the remake world is... It's about how to get those people back in the seats and taking a look at something like, say, Fright Night, the original version of Fright Night, uh, where it's it's very goofy at the same time that it's scary. But does that work with the audience they're trying to get now? So, no, they bring, you know, they take the new Fright Night, they add some of the comedy, but it's a lot more serious in tone than the original was. And it's just to get the seats in, you know, in the theater and to basically make that buck. Yeah. Um, I actually had that one written down too. I, um, man, I, I thought Colin Farrell was an awesome vampire. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was pretty good, but it, I just felt it was like a little too serious for me. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not the same kind of tone as you've already explained. Um, but I think that's what for me really changes because I thought the the I think it was the '80s version, right? The older one mm-hmm. was just was really goofy, and that's okay if you if that's what you're looking to get. But then you saw this one here, and 
man, like, you know, I think of Colin Farrell. I'm like, oh, yeah, the guy that played Bullseye in that really bad Daredevil movie. But then I see him, and he's, you know, he's worked out a little bit, and he just looks really intimidating as this vampire next-door kind of guy. And then that scene where he goes and just rips, like, the gas line out of the ground, I was like, man, this is not the same kind of um, threat as that 80s version. Oh, yeah. It's definitely... It's it's entertaining, most definitely. Like, it's not... I wouldn't necessarily put it in the horrible category. It's just quite a bit different. And that's probably just me, again, with nostalgia blinders on. Uh, when you love a film so much, it's hard to see it change in that direction. But then you look at something, again, jumping movie to movie. Look at Dawn of the Dead. I love both versions of that movie. I love the original, the George A. Romero version. It's a lot slower, but there's a lot more social commentary in that uh, with them being trapped in the mall. And they kept some of it, but the you know the Zack Snyder version of it, there seems like there's more threat involved from both sides of it, where it didn't seem like the zombie threat was as big of a deal as the human threat in the original Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong... Um... I, I'm right there with you. I actually love both versions. I do love the original more. It's just got a special place in my heart of with blue, blue zombies, right? But <laughs> Oh, and the ice rink <laughs> scene, right? And they're all right. like walking. <laughs> it's <along>. hysterical. <laughs> um, but in the original Dawn of the Dead, they're slow zombies. And in Zack Snyder's, they run, right? Correct. Yeah, and, and ever since they started doing fat, like I think it was a 28 days later, even though it's a yeah. different kind of zombie. Yeah, when zombies run, that's like, holy shit, like, Zombies just got scary again. Yeah, it, it and it was a directorial style that we necessarily hadn't seen just yet. I mean, now Zack Snyder is very Zack Snyder, you mm-hmm. know. But when we first saw it for that, I mean, that opening scene where the lady is, she's getting into her car or her minivan. She's trying to run away and the little kids are chasing her. Uh, it's intense and it's hilarious at the same time in the way that it's shot and set up. It's like it engages you right away uh and it's it holds a different like it's exactly that point that they both hold a different place for different reasons and why i like them so much yeah um the only thing i hated about the dawn of the dead remake was i don't know why i have a problem with this it it's just something that irks me if I had to say my my number one pet peeve in horror films is I'm so burned out on the pregnancy thing. Oh. Like it, it always seems like, okay, we have a pregnant woman as a character. You're like, okay, well, at least 20 minutes is going to be devoted to either losing the baby or the birth of the baby. And if she has the baby, something's going to be wrong with the baby. And until somebody else does something creative with it, I'm so burned out on it. So that's the only thing I'll say about the Dawn of the Dead remake. I was like, man, I wish that that wasn't in there. Yeah, well, it was a, a character in both films, correct? Because oh. she had the baby in the the original. Uh, Did she as a zombie? Yeah. Oh well, strike on me. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, and again, if I'm wrong, then I, maybe I'm just remembering the new one. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I the the pregnant thing in horror movies. Uh, it's I, I agree. It, it kind of needs. There are a couple things that, of course, need to go away. Uh, like the tripping and falling also kills me every time, <laughs> you know, like, come on, you can run. I understand you're a little scared, but you know, really? Right. We know who gets to die in this one or like, uh, 
the trend lately with a lot of films uh, that I was noticing is if there is a cop in a film, like it always used to be in the 80s, uh, you know, your African-American character, if they're the only one in the film, they're going to die. And that was a joke that was made in Scream. Uh, and it was true for most of the 80s and some of the 90s. But then when that kind of came out, then it became the African-American cop is the one that's going to die in most films. So if you have that going from something as old as like uh, around that time Sleepwalkers, you know that that guy's going to get killed at that point. To, uh, you know, even looking in modern, like, video games with the last Resident Evil, it happens to be a black cop. I, I don't know what it is, but they're always the first to fucking die nowadays. Wow, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, although you're right, that is something that just seems to always float around. Yeah, it's weird. Um, another thing I was doing when I was, when I was ge- gearing up for this was I was comparing a lot of originals and remakes on the length of the movie and it appears that most remakes are longer than the original film. So I don't know if that's because they spend more time just amplifying the violence, but I thought I'd get your take on that. It depends on who the, the filmmaker is. So if you look at somebody and, and this is a cheap shot, but you look at Rob zombie and look in his Halloween <laughs> movies, right? Yep. He, they're longer. They're much longer because he added more backstory to it. So sometimes we get a lot more character development than the original films were. Even look at the uh, reboot of A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's longer because they spend more time with the characters. But there are certain films uh, that I believe there is a... And you can take, actually, your example of The Evil Dead, right? Uh, I feel like that was definitely spent more on the violent side and that kind of comical, uh, you know blood splatter that happened that was there in the original but they went more in depth with it right it looked a lot more realistic it wasn't so cheesy like when she took her arm off uh at the end of the film to get out of the car that had fallen on her you know you got to see each tendon rip right from her arm in a very long shot Whereas something that would have happened when you take, like, let's say Evil Dead 2, and he chops his arm off, it's really quick. That's it. His arm's gone. And then it scatters away on the floor. You don't focus in on on the violence that's happening right there. Yeah, that is true. And, um, yeah, I, I was looking at that stuff, too, and you're right about which ones are longer uh, than other films. And, and I guess I didn't think about that. And me being a writer, you think I would, first thing I would think about <laughs> rather than violence is backstory. Um, I absolutely adore character development if it's done right. Um, Cause a lot of times, you know, you can watch a good old, um, let's see, um, maybe like Slumber Party Massacre or one of those driller killer movies. Man, you don't care who dies in that. They just threw a whole bunch of kids together, <laughs> college kids together, or high school kids together. And, and, um, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and you yep. just have a you know a eighty minute movie. But nowadays, you know, even thinking about movies like the remake of Carrie and everything, that they're still they are trying to stay true to the the character development, so they can focus on making the end scene where they gut punch you. Yeah, and and you get uh, I think when they especially when they do re adaptions of books. So like if a book has been a film back in the say let's say the eighties and then they're redoing the film again, it seems like you want to get a closer connection to that story in the book. Whatever might have been cut out before is all of a sudden here. I mean, you look at it right that's going to be coming out, and 
everybody kind of remembers the mi- the mini series that was there, and it was four episodes long. It was an hour, and we're getting the same thing basically, but instead we're getting two movies rather than just getting one whole cohesive narrative. So instead of you know breaking it down to be okay, well maybe we can cut a couple things out and maybe make it you know even a three hour movie, which is rare nowadays. But they could make it one and be done with it. But instead they want to focus you know. All your time is them being kids in the first movie, and then the second movie is all of them being adults. So basically, you know, like splitting the book right in half. So you're getting a much longer experience than you normally would uh, if they were just to combine it into one single film. Do you know? Are they um, are they using like same director for both movies, or have you heard? I believe it's the same director. I th- I think they were shot, or the way that they're shooting them is almost back to back. Like once the editing finishes, I think they're going right back to starting the second half. Okay, kind of like a Peter Jackson method yeah. or something. Okay, uh, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I I wanted to try to see if you could get this. I wrote down six horror movie remakes that have all come out. You know, in the last hell 10 years and the question i have for you is going to be out of all these six only one of them on imdb says the remake is better and i want to see if you just want to take a guess at which one it is you want to try okay. it yeah let's okay. try it. this is actually going to be really okay. fun right, and this is just judging by the internet movie database star rating okay so the six movies evil dead texas chainsaw massacre halloween nightmare on elm street Friday the 13th, Last House on the Left. Out of these six, only one remake is voted higher. I'm going to say Last House on the Left. You are 100% correct. Yeah, that was very good. Like, it was right there on par with the original. Kind of like um, How the Hills Have Eyes, the remake of that one, Mm -hmm. I thought was just as good as the original. Though, of course, you know, Craven was uh, involved with both. Uh, or was it Carpenter? Uh, no, you're right, Craven. Okay, I, I'm trying to make sure I get my horror masters correct, so people don't <laughs> roast me over an open fire. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, just so the audience knows, um, he did not know that answer ahead of time, and I, I am shocked he got it right. I think that's so cool um, because I don't know if I would have got it right. Um, well, I thought that Evil Dead might be in the running. If you're talking about Especially when you're talking about people and their perceptions of it, I thought that that one might make a dent or make a run for it. I know Nightmare on Elm Street, a lot of people disliked. I liked portions of it, uh, but as a whole, eh. I didn't see the last reboot of Friday the 13th. So, but I've everything I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, you, I remember we talked about that in January. Yeah, you hadn't seen those. Okay. And then the the other one was Halloween. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, I I know everybody knows my opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, out of those six, you're right. In fact, um, the Nightmare on Elm Street actually has the worst rating. It's um, really only got a, yeah the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street comes in at only a five point two. Oh well, that's better so than right. even I was thinking. <laughs> like I was thinking, it was, I, you were gonna say, "Oh, it's like a three. Oh, five point oh, two. It's like right well, in the middle." Yeah. Well, considering the the original is a seven point five, that's a huge well, drop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, what what other? Um, well, I guess my question on this would be, uh, what 
is your favorite remake that was completely transformed? Oh. So I know mine. I've got actually got two. Oh, okay. man, you're like, go ahead and name yours because I'm already ready two times. So, yeah, <laughs> I want to get you – well, because one of them might be the same. I don't know. So which remake do I like that is so far from the original? Yeah, like completely different, at least different mm. feeling or, you know, even with the, the technology improvements, you could even say okay. it's different. I have not seen this original in a super long time because it's an oldie. And I still have it on VHS. But one of my all-time favorite that I think still holds up well to this day remakes is the 1980 John Carpenter, The Thing. That is one of mine, yes. Yeah, I I have to say without a doubt, um, besides the fact that I love Kurt Russell as well, but I think the way that that movie was put together from somebody who loved the jo- the original like John Carpenter did um man I, I just i don't think anybody could have done a better job remaking that movie and that definitely is extremely transformed cuz yep. i mean you look at the original with Leslie Nielsen for <laughs> that's like a starter right there before he ever went into his comedic career uh and even the the monster that's there, it's so kind of generic, right? right? I mean, it's just kind of a tall guy with a silver head, and that's about it. To what he created and the kind of the mind games that got created in the remake of the thing, which is like one of the reasons I love it so much. Because when, especially when you've never seen it before and you know nothing about it, it's you as an audience don't know what's going on. Until you get flashes of these grotesque images that are absolutely fantastic and still hold up today. Yeah, I, I love the the special effects on this movie. And it was from a guy who was new. I mean, I, I don't recall his name, but from some documentaries and some interviews and stuff that I've listened and seen, he was very young and he just came in and said, what do you want me to do? Well, let me see what I can do. And boy, did he do it. <laughs> now, for for mine, it's on the same level with the special effects, but it's the remake of The Fly, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Uh, oh, yeah. The original with Vincent Price is a fantastic film. Uh, I, I cannot stress enough how much I love that film, but I there's just something about the Cronenberg version that it's it's so grotesque and different uh, that it's an absolute gem of a movie, and and it stands alone as not even in some cases being remembered as a remake. Just like with the thing, a lot of people don't associate back with the original film. They just think that's the the standard for you know anything that's made from it. Uh, you know, in the future, like that really crappy prequel that they did a couple years ago, uh, but. The the fly is I mean one Jeff Goldblum is so outstanding in the film and just the transformation from him being human into the fly and not even like the original where he actually just became a fly with a human head on it uh, it, it is the whole oh man it still makes me mm-hmm. sick thinking of it <laughs> uh, yeah it's just fantastic. Yeah, that that director man, he's um 
He's oh. like a body mutilator for his films, isn't he? Yeah, he's very <laughs> focused. It's weird when you see, because uh, I believe that he did, uh, what's that movie with Viggo Mortensen that I'm thinking of? Um, where he plays a Russian, and it's like a mobster movie. And it's, e- even then, like, the the violence that's in the movie is very realistic, like, to an, uh, a kind of uncomfortable point, you know? And then you go back to something like Scanners, where it's way over-the-top violence, or even, um, I believe he did Videodrome, too, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, okay. I, I'm on yeah. par right now with my memory. <laughs> good it's job. good tonight. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the one you were talking about, was that history of violence? Was that, am I thinking uh, the right one? No, I think it's, maybe or it is, it or is it Eastern, Eastern Provinces? There it is. I yeah. think that's the one that he did. Well, Vigo's great in both. Oh yeah. Oh no. I, the, uh, the other one, uh, history of violence has got that really awkward sex scene on the stairs. Yeah. Well, that's what happens, you know, yeah. when you, uh, dance around in a cheerleader outfit in part of the movie too. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'll tell you another one while we're on topic of this. I saw – check this out. I saw a remake before seeing an original, and I end up loving the original better. Um, but you would think that maybe, especially a modern audience of today, w- would see a certain remake of a movie and then have expectation and then see original and possibly be disappointed because maybe it wasn't as violent or it wasn't as yeah. – you know, but you know, for me, the, these older horror movies—not not golden age, uh, but just like seventies—they were so raw. And there's just this. This I was telling my son, I was like, you know, the reason that the seventies is probably the best decade is, I think, and I'm 32, so I wasn't around. I, that just seems like the coolest time to be, you know, like a dazed and confused type thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that movie that I'm referring to is The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I don't think I've ever seen that film. So the original man, I love it. I mean, it's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? But I do put it in the same feel when you watch it, like the same setting and the same just like era of films. And um, the remake was okay, but it, it, it's a different kind of movie and they try to do the same movie, but there's these weird little things they do in the original that make it stand out from other movies. And I won't get into detail since you haven't seen it. And I'm sure most people haven't. Um, but you know, it's about a, a, a killer serial killer and a, and a burlap sack mask over in the, uh, Texas, Arkansas borderline. Okay. But, um, that is yeah, it's a seventies will... movie. That's, that's actually pretty cool. That's something I'll check out. I mean, I think, if I have to think of a movie that's kind of like that, that for me would probably be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Because I really like the remake that they did with Donald Sutherland, but I had never seen the original until I had taken a class on horror film. Uh, and it was weird going, like, I guess as a, you know, a young man, it was uh, something that I had you know, never possibly or. I hadn't seen before or didn't even know that it was actually like a reboot. I had just grown up watching that one with my folks every now and then. And then seeing the original and just being blown away because, you know, it's it's a Cold War allegory. So just the times along with 
how well it's paced and put together uh that i you know at that point and it's it's probably you know cheesy of me to say that of course that one's original is is the best but for the longest time i had never knew that it existed until i was thinking of going to the oh i'm gonna see the donald sutherland version instead no th- that's what we saw and man my you know college mind was blown away at that point yeah, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but didn't they remake the remake? They did. They Oof. did do a third version of that as well. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, what did they call that? Like, I just remember it was Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig, but the name that's slips me. Right. It was, it was some. It was it was a lot shorter title, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, we don't have to remember that. Most people have probably <laughs> forgotten that one. Most too. people probably don't know that one actually exists either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so I don't know if you remember, but my favorite film of all time is the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. and to this day, I still have not seen a remake of that that I loved. Oh, you mean you don't love the Gerard Butler version? It's not on my list, no. <laughs> and uh but again, that's that, you know, going back to something you asked me earlier, that is definitely a movie that's been that's a different complete context, you know, that they they remade the movie and it's it's not a horror film anymore. Yeah. Um but you know, like Robert England did a version and I thought it was kind of crappy and then even Universal Pictures did one and um it's okay, but by golly, you know, it's not Lon Chaney. Oh, yeah. And uh, that just started getting me thinking. Um, I'm sure you're aware of it, but, uh, you know, they're they're rebooting the Universal Monsters again. Yes, and that was something I wanted to talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. Man, I was excited on everything I read, but I just give myself this giant face palm when I see this mummy trailer <laughs> with, you know, and I was just telling somebody earlier, too, that, like, I would have to shoot myself in the foot if I'm going to go see Tom Cruise in theater again because all he does is make movies where he's running around. Yeah, well, it's Mission Impossible, The Mummy, right? Yeah, part you know, seven or something. <laughs> and it, oh, that's what it was. And that, not to get off Universal because I really want to get into this with you, but I, damn, I was that disappointed when Tom Cruise was in the remake of World of the Wor- Worlds because I love the original uh-huh. War of the Worlds and I hated the remake. And yeah. I feel like that's exactly what's going to happen with The Mummy. Yeah, it just looks like it's too too action focused. And while it is, you know, an adventure film, uh, you know, and fantasy, I just don't know if I need that much. Like I don't need big explosions with a mummy movie, you know? I like the original storyline. It could be neat and it could be absolute dog shit, and it looks like it's leaning more towards that than anything else. Well, yeah, because, you know, the the Boris Karloff version, you know, it is a horror film, and it may not be the scariest one out of the Universal ones, but, you know, it was still considered a horror movie, and, you know, the Brandon Fraser versions gave us the action version, so Mm -hmm. I was really hoping they'd go back to the horror version, but clearly that wasn't the mindset when they did this, and that really puts – a little bit of haze for me over the idea because I don't want them to do that to all the movies. Yeah, I, and there it's this whole I don't know why everybody ever since Marvel kind of started mm-hmm. to do it this whole universe thing and Marvel does it really well. Don't get me wrong, I 
enjoy a majority of the Marvel movies and I like how they're connected, but not everybody has to do it. You don't have to do it with Universal Monsters. You can't just make a Universal Monster movie again. You know, there's rumors that uh, Russell Crowe is actually actually, uh, Mr. Hyde, you know, and that's how that's going to connect through the movies. And it's like, really? We need, like, the Justice League of Universal Monsters? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, and that's, you know, although a lot of us geeks and nerds like both types, that is two different genres. And the reason it works for Marvel and DC is those are already action movies, so it's not weird. But for us, like, horror buffs who want to see quality horror movies, even if they're drama horror movies, I'll take a drama horror over an action horror because when you have too much of an action horror – it turns into too much of an action movie. Yes. And um, I did hear about Russell Crowe, but I, I also heard that uh, Johnny Depp was considered for the invisible man. Did you hear that one? I have not heard that one. And I get a little excited because Johnny Depp is a phenomenal character actor. Yes. Um, but not if they do the mummy route. <laughs> no, so. no, I don't want it to turn to pirates of the universal monsters. <laughs> That's not the way that I wanted to go, right? Oh man, yeah, that's a and, good call. And uh, I, I just, I would love, to, like you said, like the dramatic horror movie. I, I would love to have somebody take one of these monsters and do it like they did back then, just as a throwback to that time period. Make make a Dracula movie that doesn't have to have a ton of action in it, that is slow building, that it is slower paced, that the the monster is not necessarily the mythical thing that he is, but everything as a human he tries to be. Go back to to just doing something like that and it would be entertaining. You don't have to turn these into blockbuster franchises all the damn time. You, um... Man, you took my breath away <laughs> the way you described uh, – oh, that was so perfectly described. I might have to get you to text that to me later. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, And we, we connected over this back in January. We both love classic films, and it would just be so great to for somebody out there who, who you know – is ballsy enough to say, you know what, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for the fans and I can, you know, I, I can, I can produce this movie without the backing of somebody who's going to make me change my vision. And I, I would love to see, cause you know, they're talking about remaking creature from the black lagoon, which I, yeah. I know we both love. And I don't know any details about it, but I know it's, it's been in some sort of like limbo status for a long time. And now it seems like it's getting the green light, but I mean, it better be a guy in a suit. You know, I don't want to see... <laughs> you don't need a CG gringa thing uh, bouncing around the screen? No, I don't want to see something that looks like it's out of, you know, you know, Harry Potter or some of those, you know, different type of fantasy realms. Nothing against it, but it's a different kind of movie again. So I just, you know, I just, there's something, there's a lost art about the man in the suit. You know, it was simple, but it was fun. Yeah, it's it's the same with practical effect right i really love seeing a good practical effect in a movie whether it's horror or not it, i sometimes uh, that's why like got off topic but that's why like uh, guillermo del toro so much is he uses the man in the suit 
to an extent when he doesn't have, you know, giant robots and giant kaiju fighting each other. But the way that he did Hellboy, the way that he did Pan's Labyrinth, those monsters are all just creature effects. They're not uh, complete CGI. There's some little bits of it that are. But for the most part, you know, that's Ron Perlman in a suit looking badass and and believable and not just some cgi you look at the the mummy lady that's you know been thrown over those trailers sometimes it's her sometimes it's not her at all and it's really frustrating like why can't you just do this why can't you be simple dummy like that's what i want to tell somebody like you don't need all these bells and whistles for for some of these these things you could just do it with the most practical of effects and in a guy in a rubber suit, uh, a good example again, Shin Godzilla that was released last year, guy in a rubber suit. It's some special effects, but still a guy in the rubber suit, and it's a fantastic portrayal of Godzilla. Wow, that's really cool. I'm not well-versed in the Godzilla world, but to know that they're still doing the guy in the suit, that's really commendable. Yeah, it was something that they wanted to do because, of course... The two times that America has done it, one mm. is an absolute piece of garbage, uh, <laughs> and the other was a good jumping point. It felt like a Godzilla movie, and and this is for me. It was something my grandfather and I we between the Universal horror movies and Godzilla. That's how we bonded a lot, uh, and so I have that soft spot for that giant rubber suit uh, in my heart. Yeah. Um... I I think about some of these guys out there, like Tom Savini, for example, who are just masters of gore, who use the practical effects. And um, I, I wonder a lot of times, I, I know what Tom Savini's opinion is, I heard him talk about it, but I, some of these guys who are getting up there in age who maybe don't even practice the art of special effects anymore, but they look and they see all these computer graphics. I mean, you know it's got to, like, just put a curl in their stomach, right? Yeah, it, it's like wondering what would uh, Harryhausen think of today's special effects monsters? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... <sighs> would he be afraid to even try what he did nowadays? Like, those, those are some of the best, you know, creatures that I've ever seen. Yeah, and, you know, they talk about, like, back in the day, Yeah, it took a long time to... To, to set set up sometimes it took you know five hours to apply makeup or you know 10 hours to set up the scene and then do a reset to do the next scene and but you know they were still banging movies out in 20 30 days that's yeah. not too bad well that's like the story of uh the second king kong movie where they released it and said okay you have to have the next one by basically like christmas i believe uh so they had less than a year to bang out a second king kong that was just as good as the original and it's crazy a little different you know but still it reminds me of a lot of stuff that's going on over here in texas it you know 10 years ago there was almost no construction everything was normal and it seems like in the last um let's even say last six years they've entirely tore up this metroplex and 
the rumor has it, you know, the money came in and was like, hey, you guys have grants to get all these roads built and you haven't done nothing. If you don't build all your roads in the next three years, you're losing all the funding for it. And all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, shit, we got to we got to rebuild everything. And it makes me think about what you just said, like, oh, we'll fund your movie, but we want it out by Christmas time so that everybody will go see it. Yep. And that gets back to what we were saying earlier is sometimes having too much money you know, we'll, we'll doom you before it even starts. So, I, and we, you know, I don't know if ever know if we got your answer for you with what is the horror movie you hate the most that was remade. Are you talking like I like, hate it and they remade it and I still hate it? Or? No, you you hated the remake. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, we didn't get to that. I love the original, hate the remake. Let's see here. Okay, I will tell you original that. I enjoy. I, I don't love it, but I, but I do enjoy it. But I thought the remake was complete garbage, and that was Poltergeist. <laughs> I know I, uh, somebody that probably thinks the exact same way as you do, and I skip that movie. Yeah, man. I, I really like. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now. The main character in it, um, Sam. Wow, oh, man, he's funny as hell, it- but. You know, he's the dad in the new Poltergeist movie. Sam Rockwell, thank you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, I was so excited to see him in another movie. And then I saw that. And then, you know, they they did the thing where they focused a lot on the clown being scary, which they did a great job in the original. The clown was terrifying. And then I saw the movie, and it was just – it didn't work as a modern horror film. It worked better as an 80s horror film. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, and I think the same. I haven't seen this movie. Sorry to interrupt you, but oh no, I I didn't watch Rings for the same reason. Yeah, you know, that the, was my take on Rings too. I was going to wait. Uh, yeah. Excuse me uh, until something like it hit a VOD or or something free because uh, like I wasn't sure if I wanted to waste my time in the theater seeing something like them truly trying to modernize it, like take it away from the VHS tape and go to an internet type thing. Uh, and in the beginning, it, it seemed like it was going to be interesting, and then more trailers came out, and then I was less and less interested in it. Yep, and um, th- that's that's another prime example. I was just like, you know, I, it's still a, a cool concept, but I feel like the fear factor's gone from it like it's it's been a very long time since you've wanted to remake the movie and everybody already knows about it and people have already done more frightening things than what you're trying to do to modernize it and it's really not there anymore you know um uh that brings me to another movie which i didn't even write it down so that's more movies but (laughs) what did you think about the blair witch remake or can i will say continuation even though it was kind of a remake and a continuation I did not see it. I wanted to, uh, and I need to. But from what I can tell, at least, I was interested in it. Uh, It was something, like, I recently watched The Blair Witch. Now, we won't talk about Book of Bullshit or whatever that other movie is called. That doesn't exist. Uh, But I went back, and it was one of those, it was late at night, and I was like, I can't sleep. There's got to be something on Netflix that I can watch. Oh, shit. I have not seen The Blair Witch Project in a long time. In the theater, absolutely fantastic. At home, it's mediocre. Like, you don't get that sense of dread as you do in a room full of people that 
are feeling the same as you rather than when you're sitting by yourself. But the fact that they hid this movie so well, this reboot of the franchise, and it tells more story of where I, of what I want to know, uh, that interests me a lot. But I've heard so many mixed things on it that okay. it also kind of keeps me away at the same time. I will be real with you. Um, I love Adam Wingard. When I found out he was directing it, I was super excited because I'm a big fan of what he does. And um, the the characters, the actors and actresses that are used in the movie are, are pretty much no names. You know, they haven't done a lot of stuff yet. So it's a very fresh feel. And I remember when I saw the first teaser, I was so giddy over it. If giddy is still a, a word. Um, <laughs> I was like, wow. You know, the guy, you see like clips of the original Blair Witch. And you're like, what? wait a minute. I know what that is. And it zooms out and it's a, a guy watching it on his computer. And he's like, I think that's my sister. And right then, dude, chills hit me. I was like, holy crap. This is so, that's what a cool idea. And he's like, I want to go find her. And so then it gets you back into the woods. And then that's how it's like, it's a continuation. But then it's kind of a remake because now we get to have more to do with the witch in the woods again, which is what we all want. Like you said, you're like, yes, give me a little more background. Maybe let's see what happens if they do find it, you know? And, um, I loved it. And then I went to rewatch it and I remember thinking, okay, I, I like it a lot. It, it went from love to like, like it a lot. So I would be very interested to see your take on it. Um, but I will say that something super a plus about it is, when they get down to the nitty gritty of the film, when you're literally in the moment of terror and there's nowhere to go, there's a few scenes that they do that are damn haunting, especially if you have issues with uh, claustrophobia. <laughs> and I'll leave it there. Okay. So you've definitely piqued my interest more in wanting to see it. So that is going to be my homework for the end of this podcast is to watch that and get back to you with my own little interpretation of it. Just don't hate it and, and invite me on a bash Dave episode <laughs> in the future. I would never bash any of my <laughs> guests unless they were a dick. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, so I guess there's there's two more th questions that we need to go through. And, and the first is, what is a film that you hate, but you love the remake? Hmm. Oof. Okay, let me think for a second. Unless you do, you do you want to go first? I, I do, and it's it, it's funny because it's considered to be a bad movie, but I absolutely love it. Um, I don't like the original Thirteen Ghosts. Like, there's something okay. about it that I just I could never get into. Uh, I get it. Uh, I I just don't know. But the remake is one of those movies, if it is on TV, no matter what point it's on, I will watch the whole goddamn thing. And I think because it feels, it's more of like a cheese factor for me, and I have this undeniable love for Matthew Lillard for some reason, uh, that he makes the film for me, and and just the way that it's it's done, and, and the the ghosts themselves... Uh, the new embodiments of them are so interesting, and I love the look of many of them that I just get enthralled with the movie. Even though I know I'm not watching a good movie, I absolutely love it. And and that 
that that's definitely the one for me. Yeah, that's actually not a bad choice because I also love Matthew Lillard. Uh, maybe it was you know just his days in, in um, Hackers and then Scream that that you know made us all go. He's a fun dude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so man. What a great connection because I had bought John Carpenter's The Thing and the original William Castle Thirteen goes together at the same night. Oh wow! Um, back when I had seen him for the first times, I was like. I want to watch these purchase, you know, and uh, the 13 ghost it's entertaining enough that I like the original, but Oh man, there's something to be said about the remake. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from. I'm still struggling. I, <laughs> I guess maybe I just love it. it the balance scale falls, you know, originals for me are just always great. And I can't think of, of a movie that I'm like, Oh, that was terrible. But the remake did justice for it because as soon as I start saying it, I'm like, well, hold on, you know, and and I give credit where credit's due. Yeah, of course. And there's, there's things to say about a lot of these films that are, you're like, okay, uh, I can understand where it's coming from, you know, and I can understand the importance of this film and what it did. Of course, there's, you know, a lot of the grindhouse films that you've got that are kind of complete garbage, but there's stuff that still, even if you're not quite into it, you can understand what they're doing and get a better appreciation for it than maybe you once had. And it's hard to be like, oh, this remake is so much better than the original. You know, it, it's it, even that, like, like the thing with 13 Ghosts, it's, there's just something different about it that made me like the new one more and maybe it was you know a time where i was like well i i went backwards and like you said before for some people maybe you see the remake first you don't like the original as much but it's one of those films where like house on haunted hill for example uh you know where that was a film that i sat with my grandfather and watched with him when i was very young uh and then you watch the remake and you're like uh okay, I appreciate what you did, but and and I do like you uh to an extent, but there's just something there's something that grabs you more about that original film. Yeah, I noticed that's two uh, William Castle drops there for yeah. you. Um <laughs> it makes me wonder, do you think they'll ever remake The Tingler? Oh. And if they would, did, it, would it even work today? I see, I don't think that it would would because you would need well, you know what? If they only put it in those, uh, what they call, like, D-Box theaters, uh, where they have, like, motion sensors and stuff like that into the seats, uh, <laughs> and they, they create that feeling uh, of the Tingler like they did back in the day, maybe, but it would be very difficult. And- well, re- remember I said when I win the lotto, I was going to build that theater, so it's coming. <laughs> so it's coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, you'll get a you'll get a golden ticket to come on down. Oh, that's right. You just get my plane flight all ready, and I'll be right there opening night. <laughs> and you can watch uh, Evil Dead on the plane over. <laughs> oh, there we go. I have to find something else to freak somebody out with. Uh, try to think of something even bloodier this time. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Yeah, I'm still just – I look at my list and I stare at it and I, I just – I almost have to pass on that one. I'm like, you know, I, I can't name a remake that, that got me into a series that I wasn't already into. Well, what about the question you just asked then? What's a movie that you believe deserves to have a remake for modern audiences if it were done right? Ooh, how fun. Okay. Thinking about the technology abuse today. <laughs> 
Oh man, all these have already been remade. I'll tell you what, let me just, I'm mobile right now, I can get up. I will just go look at this collection, this beautiful collection, and go, what would be cool today if we can't resurrect these great actors that have surpassed? Oof, I don't know about that. <laughs> Got a live recording here, and I'm going through my collection. Through, well, yeah. l- let me let me say, uh, for me, uh, like just a fun one that I would like to see done more modernized, uh, and I'd never seen the film before, but I saw it for the end of the year, which was New Year's Evil. As okay. cheesy as that movie is, if they made some changes to it, I think it could be a very good remake. If they just fix some of the things that were wrong with that film. Because I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. Like, I was really, like, torn with it. Because uh, oh, having only seen the trailer, because somebody brought it up to me, like, hey, uh, maybe you should do this. I was like, I've never heard of this movie because I was looking for New Year's Eve movies to do. And that ended up being the choice because the trailer was really cheesy. And then it turned out, you know what? I really like this character. This killer character is so suave and he's so maniacal in the way he works. And then when he go, he get the reveal, it's like, it's shitty. I, I just, you know, I wish that he had been a stronger character all the way to the end. And that's something I think you can improve on. Yeah, I think we're entitled for another holiday killer movie. You should pass that oh, idea that, on. Well, maybe if I can finally get a t- chance to talk to Lloyd Kaufman, and maybe I'll talk to him about it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, okay. Hey, you know, you need something. Well, there was just that, what, uh, that one movie that came out. It was like Holidays or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that on Netflix. I didn't watch it, but I, I remember it's up there in the suggested. Yeah, it's something I still want to check out because they did – I know they had a couple of normal holidays, like I think there was a Halloween and maybe a Christmas one, but then there was like an Easter story. <laughs> That's like, cool. Okay. That that would be kind of interesting to watch. I think uh, Kevin Smith directed one of them and uh, hmm. Seth Green's in another one. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. I'm, that's worth a watch already. Okay, I have an answer for you on something I would like to see remade that might work. I don't know if a lot of people have seen this, but there's a horror movie that came out in 1980 called He Knows You're Alone. Have you heard of it? I have not. It sounds familiar, but I don't think I've seen that. It is – I don't know if it's very first movie, but it's definitely one of his first appearances in a major motion picture. Tom Hanks has a slender of a role in this movie. Nothing important. He's just a boyfriend of a character in it, but he's got a nice fro. It's kind of cool. But He Knows You're Alone is uh, it's a different kind of horror movie. It's about a serial killer who murders off brides-to-be before their wedding. And it's very basic. It's a small town where a group of friends or, or you know, a collection of girls are you know conveniently getting married. <laughs> And, you know, they're trying on wedding dresses. But the thing I love about this movie is the killer does not wear a mask. This is not a, a, a Jason Voorhees or a Michael Myers or anything. It's almost like I don't care if you do see me, but it's like a peeping Tom kind of scare factor. You know, the guy, he's he doesn't need a mask. He looks scary as shit already because his eyes, he, he like locks on you and he has a stare and he doesn't let you go. 
you know it's almost like a bella lugosi stare it's creepy and you know he wields a knife and, and you know they're not safe whether he's gonna stalk them at their home or at a chapel or at a fitting room place but um i remember this movie because it came on satellite back in the day and i just recorded it randomly and i only caught part of it and i'm like wow what was that and i did some research and i found it and i actually recently rewatched it again and i think that thought it went through my head of man you don't really get you know horror movies today that are slashers where you see the guy the whole time you don't have to guess who it is you know who it is but i thought it was an art that hasn't been touched in a while and um if done right they could totally modernize this and make it a really good movie it def- I was looking through uh, some images while you were talking, and I can see what you're you're talking about with the character. Like some of the stuff they have is you know they don't want to at least like on IMDb. IMDb, pardon me. Uh, they you know kind of shadow out the the face of the killer, but that's a very interesting concept, and you don't necessarily see it. I I kind of like that, and I think this is something that I have to watch as well. <laughs> Every time we get together, I'm just throwing these names out. That's what I like to do. <laughs> but yeah, it's totally cool. And you know, I'm not lying. You'll, it takes a little while to get into it to spot it, but you will see a, a young Tom Cruise, or Tom Cruise, the young Tom Hanks in there. Yeah, if you Google image search the name of the movie, he's the second image that pops up. <laughs> They're trying to advertise it. Yep. <laughs> Look, Tom Hanks is in it. Watch it. As long as he doesn't get Steven Seagal in the movie, everything's fine. No, yeah, he's his part is extremely minimal. Um, I, just, I would just say, die. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I, I remembered certain parts about this movie, which drove me to rewatch it again, and I was really glad I did because I, it has some some really standout death scenes, and like I said, the um, the killer in the movie is just relentless. So that definitely worth watching, and that definitely could. If they did again, if they did it right, that could be a really interesting type of concept for a film. It doesn't necessarily have to be, let's say, a remake, but as if just in general, like that again, that concept of knowing who the killer is without him having to be kind of hidden behind the shadows uh, or behind a mask is definitely something that it like piques my interest even more about the film question for you sure so a lot of times when they do these movies they put a masked killer in there and they want you to focus on who the killer is and then developing an explanation as to why they're doing this what's the motive right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of typical what do you think about the alternative of we see the killer but we never found out why he's killing like do you feel cheated or do you kind of like the idea of wow you know, that leaves so much to my imagination. That's a really good question. And the best way that I can answer this is by talking about two Disney films, Uh, (laughs) which is weird, but you'll hear me out here. Um, Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent. Sleeping Beauty. I love Maleficent in that film because she's evil just to be evil no backstory other than she was, you know, the king blew her off. Uh, and when they did the remake, there's so much backstory. You know, well, it's not really a remake, but it's, you know, it's like a, a retelling you know? or whatever it is. That it's like, now you're sympathetic to this character. And it sucks. 
uh, and I can't, I can't do this. You ruined one of my favorite characters by doing this. So while it's interesting to have a backstory, I miss those killers that are just killers. There's no other reason you can make your own story for them. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to have a backstory for somebody. Um, it's like, what? God, uh, I, the, the name hatchet, I think mm-hmm. that kind of has a killer that is just a killer. Um, and it works. I mean, you can, you can just have you, I mean, I don't necessarily need it to be, uh, cheesy in terms of, okay, teenagers go on a spring break and killers come and just start slaughtering them all. I don't need that. But at the same time, I don't need to know, like, again, uh, keep jumping to movies, but the descent is a good example. I think of what what we're looking for. Uh, where there are these monsters, and there's no freaking, you know, of course the whole thing is it really all in that one girl's head uh, because of the way that she's getting treated, or these really, truly, these man-eating monsters that are down there, but there's no backstory for them. They're just, they happen to walk into their lair, and everybody gets killed. Great. I love it. I don't need to know more. I don't feel cheated that I've got that. Uh, I, I can live with it. So, I think it would be refreshing to see something like that in nowadays horror. Yeah, no, that's, that's an awesome uh, example too. I love the descent and yeah, I mean, they don't invest time explaining why they have these cannibalistic, you know, creatures crawling around. You just, you know, they're there. Isn't that enough? And uh, for that movie, because they did it right, it was. And so I think there's a lot of fresh talent out there that, you know, if they see this movie, they can make it modernized because the sets used in the movie still transfer over to today. There's mm-hmm. nothing weird about it. You just have to have the right look of a character. And it's almost, let's see here, by any chance, do you watch like um, Gotham? I do not. Uh, it's actually one of the series that I have missed. Okay. Um, did you see Wedding Crashers? Yes. Okay, there is okay. There's a connection. Bear with me. So in <laughs> Wedding Crashers, there's like the uber creepy brother, yeah, right, who's like always like you know he's got that vibe about him and that like I'm always looking at you or whatever, and that's how I feel like this killer needs to be. They need an actor, and, and the reason I said Gotham is the penguin in mm-hmm. it. He does the same look. Uh, I think his name's Robin Taylor something, but the. Uh, actor can have this certain look about them or they learn how to do it where it just makes you feel uneasy when you're stared at. And that's all they need for this movie. They can take it in whatever direction they want, but you've already eliminated. I have to be smart enough to figure out how to write. Guess who the killer is method. No, you don't. You just need to uh, be smart enough to make a believable story for 80 minutes and and get some really good practical effects. And you're going to have a good horror movie. Yeah. And you don't need to throw a whole lot of money at it either. You can do a film like that, you know, with a twenty million dollar budget or less, and, and still get, you know, you don't, you don't have to have higher end actors do something like this. You know, you can use people that are relatively green, and you know, horror, of course, is always a great jumping start for a lot of people's careers uh, when you look back at it. Yep, just like the James Wan method last time we talked. You know, yep. he started doing this, and now he's doing Aquaman. Who would have thought? <laughs> oh. So is there anything else that you want to uh, ask or talk about? Um, it's so funny. My biggest question for you was one you asked me. So you totally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had any desires for a remake. Oh, but, 
Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, I don't know if I have a whole lot of de- desires. I mean, of, of course, you, we mentioned it before with the creature from the Black Lagoon. I'd like to see a little more modern version of that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm afraid they're going to fuck it up. So I'm kind of like, (laughs) I'm right in the middle. Like, which one do I do? Do I want it? Do I don't want it? Um, I, I think, you know, what they're trying to do with universal monsters, um, sucks, uh, in, in few, few awards, but like the invisible man, for example, I would love to see a remake of that. That is in the style of the original, uh, where you, I don't need it to be a part of a whole universe. I just need it to be a story. Um, and there could be, um, actually, there is one, and it, and I have to go back to Japanese cinema uh, for this one. I, I don't, I, I love Japanese horror. It's so it can either be really me. bad or really good. <laughs> uh, but there's a psychological film, and it's done by the same guy that did Pulse, and um, which who's curious. Uh, uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. My tongue is, does not want to work with me right now, and I know it's later for you than it is for me. <laughs> uh, but he has a psychological thriller called Cure, uh, which starts out kind of like a detective-type novel until this guy th- that he's chasing, he can convince people to d- kind of act out their like homicidal fantasies by just whispering or talking to them. And it it's a movie that i i saw uh and i remember that night after i saw it i had to walk back home uh and this was again this was in college years and i had to walk from the uh front of our campus down in santa cruz california to where i lived which was about 20 minutes away and that whole walk is littered with trees and is dark as hell because uh, the buses weren't running anymore uh and I remember having to stop at that point and go into a 7-Eleven, and at that point, I hadn't smoked in a long time, and I had to buy a pack of cigarettes just to make the walk home to calm myself down. And it was, it's such a masterful film uh, that I would love to see an American take on it, because you, you, there isn't the cultural, uh, you know, uh, for lack of better word, things, uh, that you need to transpose into an American culture. The base story of the film, even with the slow pacing, would benefit uh, bringing it into more modern time. And you could do something different, use more of a sprawling cityscape if you wanted to, you know, make it look like a seven type of film. Uh, But, you know, even keeping some of the ruralness uh, of, you know, the Japanese countryside that they used uh, and in turning it into, you know, using it maybe in a more Midwest centered uh, environment would still benefit if you brought it over to the U.S. and made it a U.S. style movie. Uh, so that would be something, again, if done right, I think you could do it for very low budget. You can get a, maybe one person that is somewhat known and make a beautiful film like the original. There you go. I might have to see if I can track that one down. You did, however, throw me in this direction here and uh, let me know if I'm getting ahead of myself. But no. I, I said I was a fan of Adam Wingard. He's actually getting his hands on remaking um, some sort of Asian-type horror movie into you know the American version. He's doing Death Note. Oh, yes. Yes, he is. And I saw the trailer for that. And 
I've always thought that uh, oh, I always forget the demon's name, but I always thought he looked like Willem Dafoe. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's creepy. So, <laughs> I have not seen the trailer. I didn't know it was out. That's cool. Yeah, they they I'll put one up. out. Um, I think it'd be done right. Uh, what worries me about that uh, is that even though it is a uh, an anime originally, uh, and they have done live action movies, and I've seen one of them, which I thought was pretty good, uh, and um, it's again, I think they're trying to transpose it maybe a little too much into mm. Western society, uh, with special way the guy looks that's playing. Um, and I always mix it. I think it's Light is the main character that has the Death Note. Uh, and again, you guys can spit roast me if I'm totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it looks it looks like it has a lot of potential, and it could be a very interesting take on it. I just wonder if they're going to keep some of uh, the culture that's in it alive to make it connect with fans of the series. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one thing I was going to say about Adam Wingard is, you know, he did the Blair Witch there. So mm-hmm. he's already playing with fire about taking originals and either remaking or extending them um, because Blair Witch bombed in the box office. Oh, yeah. And you said it was a genius move to to kind of hide it from people and then shock them. And it definitely was, except financially, they didn't market it enough. A lot of people didn't even know it was out. Yeah. And so, um, but I was going to say, you know, about Adam Wingard, man, I really dug the VHS movie. Oh, I did too. I actually liked, um, they've done three, right? VHS, they did three. VHS yeah. two and VHS viral, right? <laughs> yeah. I loved the first two. Uh, I, the first, I'm with you. The third one, the, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't to the point that I was like, I have to turn this off. I can't watch it anymore. Because uh, I kind of like the overarching that combined everything together. Uh, okay. But I can't remember which story. I just was like, no, I'm I'm that one. I, I just can't finish. <laughs> uh, but the first one had that really cool one that was from the perspective. I, I It was one of the guys where they got like the girl that's like a prostitute or something like that. Turned mm-hmm. out to be a succubus. Was that the first one? That was the first one. I think it was the first story of the first one. And that was probably my favorite one just in the way that it was done i thought it was something interesting that i hadn't seen it like that before uh and it surprised the hell out of me when when the reveal happened i think it surprised all of us um for those of you who haven't seen it uh, be careful when you're wearing your beer goggles because y- you might be taking home a gargoyle or something you don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're gonna end up like chef in south park right there you go. <laughs> Goddamn succubus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. So, um, I think this is a, a perfect ending point for us for this evening, and I thank you very much for coming and talking with me again. I had a ton of fun. Uh, I always like talking about films, and especially with somebody who has the same feelings as I do with cinema, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me because I too had a blast. I mean, I I don't know how long this has gone on, but I, I almost forgot that we were recording. I just, uh, it, it's a good time to just kick back with friends and, and talk about 
the genre that we all unite together. So um, I look forward to, you know, possibly doing it again with you in the future there. And uh, maybe by then you've seen the Friday the 13th stuff. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I've actually got, now I've got like a <laughs> list of movies that I've got to watch uh, <laughs> and find, find the time to make sure I can do it all. Uh, but is there anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, sure, man. No problem. And a lot has changed since January. Um, I am an official member of the B movie brothers podcast. So if you want to hear more of my voice, <laughs> not that I do, um, I'm always on there, the B movie brothers podcast, as well as my wife and I have our own show now on dungeon radio. So Ooh. if anybody wants to to give it a chance, it's called Real Antiques, and that's spelled real like movie real. And it's uh, a fiction story that we own a horror movie museum full of antiques, and each room hosts a theme. So our first two episodes are out. Our first episode was about the axe, and the second was about the knife. So what you get out of that show is you basically get a horror drama of a hypothetical walk through our museum and we talk to you about old horror movies so pretty cool stuff that sounds really awesome so yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get you on there one day oh that would be fantastic <laughs> so uh, again thank you very much for taking the time to talk uh with me and uh you know make sure you follow uh dave here on twitter uh and check out his show uh and as always, you know, you know the rest for me. You hear it every fucking episode, so I'm not going to repeat it again uh, <laughs> for the bonus. <laughs> so thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great night. Enjoy some movies. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.